Welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from to love, honor, and vacuum.com, soon to be bearmarriage.com once we have done the site migration. Mm-hmm. Yay! And we are here to talk about healthy, evidence-based biblical advice for your sex life and your marriage. And I am joined today by my co-authors for The Great Sex Rescue, Joanna Sawatsky. Hi there. And my daughter, Rebecca Lindenbach. Hello. And we have, this is our third uh, in a series of how the evangelical church can handle research poorly. <laughs> in our resources. And we want to wrap that up today, unless we think of something else to say next week, which is entirely likely, but very possible. <laughs> but before we do that, just once again, a plug for our Patreon. We have a wonderful patron group that supports us. You can do so for as little as $5 a month. Um, at various levels, you can get merch, you can get autographed copies of books. Access uh, to our exclusive Patreon podcast. Yes, unfiltered podcast. There's an amazing Facebook group. So um, the link for that is in the podcast notes and special note for nick's bras mm-hmm. we love nick's bras we love nick's underwear if you want to look, be comfy and look amazing check out nick's yeah and if you don't want to leak that's important yeah check out nick's it's very good very good we have the links the affiliate links i'm gonna say for... we have, this is the third time we've filmed <laughs> this particular ad today as yeah. we're, we're getting shorter and to the point. Every time like, and nick's get them let's go <laughs> Nix.com. The links are in the podcast notes. Okay. Today, I want to talk about how we can end up handling research poorly or not understanding the significance of research, mm-hmm. which we've come across a lot in the evangelical world. And to do, I want to, I want to give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. I guess month ago, maybe now, um, I shared on my Facebook page something about spanking. I forget why. I don't know what triggered it. But um, we had written a series of posts. Oh, it was the Vadi Bauckham thing. Right, right, right. The Vadi Bauckham. I did a, I did a fixed it for you where Vadi Bauckham... Um, was saying something horrific. Yeah. And he had also said that... Uh, if you don't spank your kids five times before breakfast, well, no, you're like there's some wrong. kids who need spankings five times by breakfast or something right. like that. And so I talked about this, and Vadi Bakum at the time had he's a very conservative um, pastor, big in SBC Gospel Coalition circles, mm-hmm. and um, very he's pa- like the founder of the stay at home daughter movement. Right, which there's no nice way. Like it's 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 quite concerning. Yes, um, and so I this got us talking about spanking on the Facebook page, and I ended up sharing um, a post that you actually wrote several years ago, sharing the meta analysis of over one hundred fifty thousand children, yeah. showing that spanking was either neutral or negative. It yeah. was never, it wasn't positive. Yes, right. And I shared this, and we got two common responses mm-hmm. that were that were problematic. One was. I don't agree. <laughs> I know. I love that one. I love that one. And I I never know what to say to that. It's like, okay, you can't disagree with a meta-analysis. So Joanna, while we have you here, can you please explain why this matters? Okay. So when we say we don't agree with research, um, we might be saying, you know, I really wish that they'd included confidence intervals on those bar graphs. That's yeah. appropriate. I don't like the way they did their methods. Also fine. Uh, But I don't agree with the study. I genuinely don't know what that means. Yes. Uh, Okay. (laughs) But the other thing is you really, really can't disagree with a meta-analysis. So if you rolled up and you were going to do a master's in public health or you were just going to take public health 101 
there would be a slide. I promise there would be a slide. I saw this slide so many times in day one of a, any given class, really. <laughs> Uh, so they'll go over the different types of studies that are used in public health. And we're going to, I'll talk through each of these with using evangelical teachings about sex and vaginismus. Because, you know, I don't know why I would have chosen that as an example. But. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Okay, the first type of study is called a case report. This is the least powerful. It's where you just go, hey, woman came into the clinic. She had vaginismus. She's also an evangelical. Huh. Interesting. I think there might be a connection. Right. <laughs> case series. There have been a bunch of women. <laughs> Cross-sectional. Okay, so then maybe you do a, a quick study. You send out a survey to a number of churches and you say, hey, do you believe this? Do you have vaginismus? In a cross-sectional study, it's kind of like taking a snapshot. You can't, that's when they talk about correlation and causation mm -hmm. and not knowing which one is the, uh, the causative agent. That's a really big problem in cross-sectional studies, but they're also really easy to do. Yeah. They're cheap. Mm -hmm. And so they're used heavily because they are effective. They actually allow us to start asking questions and start really generating hypotheses for more powerful types of, types of surveys. The next type of survey is actually what we used for the Great Sex Rescue, which is called a case control. So we said, hey, what did you believe way back in high school? And have you ever had vaginismus? So we knew that the beliefs in high school preceded their marriage. And so we could say, hey, there's actually causal links there. Because, of course, if A is before B in time, mm -hmm. we don't have time machines. So then A is causally linked to B. The next would be if we had a cohort study. So let's say that we grabbed a bunch of high schoolers and we said, hey, this group believes these teachings. This group does not. Let's see how they turn out in 10 years. It'd be super fun. Yeah. It would also be very expensive. And that's why the Harvard study is such a big deal. Because exactly. I've talked so about that one. If anyone would like to donate a million dollars a year to our <laughs> Patreon so that we can do our own cohort study, uh, hit us up. Yeah. But the Harvard study started in what, like the night just after the war? I think it was, yeah, it was something. It's been going on for 75 years. Yeah. I know. It just hit it 75 years. And they followed the same men and their spouses and their kids now. And they inter interviewed them every year. It's a huge, it's amazing. But they, and they, and they it's studied all the time. Mm -hmm. um, okay, and then we get into the what we could not do ethically. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've left the realm of the observational study and we've entered experimental studies. And that's the, the random control clinical trial. So where you would, um, I don't know, somehow make girls believe certain things and then see if that induced vaginismus. That would not work. Um, but <laughs> clinical trials are used uh, a lot for looking at things like how drugs work or maybe even testing different types of curriculum in schools they may randomly select certain certain classrooms or certain schools to, to have certain interventions done mm -hmm. and then the the best literally the best type of study to do is what's called a meta-analysis and researchers who do meta-analyses have lots and lots of training in how to aggregate the results of a variety of studies figuring out specifically which studies to include which ones not to include um, and then to pull pool all of the statistics together to get hopefully a final and conclusive answer on an important question mm -hmm. uh, and these are done a lot in health questions so what is the best protocol for treating a certain type of patient who walks in the door um, and then they can also be used for things like spanking as we discussed um, and really meta-analyses are to say that they're the gold standard I think understates the case they mm -hmm. are incredibly powerful and very respected um, I've got pretty good research chops I would not touch a meta-analysis I do not have the training required to do one yeah, yeah they're intense yeah and so this is the thing when someone says I disagree 
it's like you can't disagree with the study. You can disagree with its with its methods, perhaps. But you know, again, but if you don't have like a <sighs> post doctorate, in like if you're not the most like, I don't think people understand too how much education you need to be able to do a meta analysis. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, well, I don't agree with their like with how I don't think they would have included the right studies. How would you know? <laughs> like genuinely, like how would you know? Yeah. Like this takes yeah. so much education. I don't think people who say, "Well, I disagree," understand that it's like, okay, then then you're showing all of us that you don't understand the basics of research here. Mm-hmm. Like if you say, "Huh, that's not my experience." That's, that's fine. That's different. And we say, I know that's not your experience. Luckily, <laughs> we have data from 150,000 plus other people to know that your experience is actually the, an anomaly. <laughs> but not only that, the thing about stuff like meta-analyses and the things about our research as well is that often we are not actually the best at telling people what worked for us and what mm-hmm. didn't. Right? We have a lot of people saying, well, I loved like Shanti's books and I'm totally fine. I mean, I have a really low libido and also I struggle with orgasm, but I'm so happy in my marriage. Like we're really happy you're happy in your marriage. But our study found that the fact that you believe all of Shanti's books and for women only and you know, all these, these kinds of things about how your husband has this insatiable lust drive, mm-hmm. you know, like that actually might be contributing to insatiable your Insatiable visual temptation oh, to Which take is a lust drive. Yes, it's yes. just, it's just the political speak. They are yeah. so good at all this political mumbo jumbo. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but anyway, like, but that, that's what we're saying is when we talk about how this isn't my experience, so it must be wrong. No, no. It actually might even be your experience. You just haven't put the pictures pieces together. That's what these studies do. Yeah, and yeah. I think the other thing is important is to recognize again that we all have our perspectives, and a case report is an important piece of the research puzzle. Mm-hmm. But it is actually quite prideful mm-hmm. to say, "Hey, I know better than." All of these people who thought really, really hard about how to do this study, my one experience invalidates all of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or my actually, one experience is more important than the hundred. And this is what others. this is what Gary Thomas said. This was sort of funny. He wrote an article, which he later took down because of all the outcry, um, on how women, uh, if you have more sex, you can help your husband not watch porn. Mm-hmm. Um, and and people obviously reacted very poorly to that for obvious reasons. But he. He had one sentence in there, and Keith and I talked about it in a podcast last year, but he said that um, the wife who had been not refusing, who had been refusing sex or not having sex very often, she did always orgasm. And so he said, so that blew apart the myth (laughs) that lack of orgasm is what causes women not to want sex. It's so funny. Which is like, okay, one person, (laughs) one person's experience does not invalidate a study of 20,000 women. No, because that's what he was talking about. He was Let's talking about us because I've I've frequently said that the number one reason that women don't want sex is because they it's don't enjoy it, which is not like... Not rocket science here. But I also never said that was the only reason yeah, women did want sex. Also, not orgasming is not the only reason that a woman would not enjoy sex. Exactly. You know, a woman mm-hmm. having a husband who's addicted to porn and, you know, is really just not safe sexually is also, also a reason to not yes. enjoy sex. But again, this this idea that you find one exception to the rule and therefore that invalidates the study. Like, well, I know a woman who jogged every day for 35 years and never smoked and was a vegan and she got lung cancer. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to go start smoking. Yeah, or we all know this is the case with our kids, right? There's always going to be people who never wear seatbelts and never got in car accidents. Do you want your kid going down the highway without a seatbelt on? Mm-hmm. No, because yeah. one person's experience does not invalidate 
actual truth. Yeah. And so that's that's a big one. Uh, another funny thing about the spanking um, issue, pe- there were two main responses that were negative. The first one, the mo- overwhelming one was, well, I just don't agree. And again, you just, you can't not agree with the meta-analysis. <laughs> um, the other one was, well, kids need discipline. Yeah. And we all know what happens when kids stop getting disciplined. That's all the problems in the world are caused by kids not getting disciplined anymore. But what they were doing, and if you remember last week's podcast where we talked about operational definitions, <laughs> they have a definitional mix up there mm-hmm. because they're equating spanking with discipline. Mm-hmm. So if we get rid of spanking, we get rid of discipline. And that's simply not the case. We'll bring someone on later in the podcast to talk about that briefly. So, you know, I, I just thought that was that was kind of funny. Okay, so that's one way is, is people just say, well, I disagree with research. Please stop doing that. Okay. Mm-hmm. You, you can't just disagree with research. You need a reason. You need to examine it. You need to talk to experts. You need to do a lot of reading up and you need to realize I may not be qualified to even make it. <laughs> yeah. And usually I will say, especially yeah. even, even us, me and Joanna, mm-hmm. Even us, we will even say usually with things like meta-analyses, we're just not Mm -hmm. educated enough in this area. Right. Okay. The other mistake you can make is that you use someone's data, but you ignore their conclusions. And this is highly unethical. Mm Mm-hmm. This one, and I'm going to give you a couple of examples of it. Um, Focus on the Family does this a lot with the data about um, outcomes with divorce. And... It was Gretchen Baskerville who first alerted me to this. She wrote a great book, Lifesaving Divorce, and she has a wonderful website, lifesavingdivorce.com, where she tracks a lot of focus on the family's um, uh, articles and some of the problems and how they talk about divorce. And in a couple of articles, focus on the family quotes Judith Wallerstein. Now, Judith Wallerstein did... A cohort study, which is very rare. Like the Harvard study was a cohort study, followed the same people for 75 years. Judith Wallerstein followed the same kids for 25 years as they grew up and then was able to look at the effects of divorce on these kids with their future relationships, etc. And so this was groundbreaking. She did this in the 70s, 80s and 90s. And I've been talking about Judith Wallerstein ever since I started writing my columns in, gosh, in Belleville. Like this, this was an important thing. And what Focus on the Family says, I'm going to I'm going to um, read you how they portray her research. They say the children in Wallerstein study were especially challenged when they began to form their own romantic relationships. As Wallerstein explains, contrary to what we have long thought, the major impact of divorce does not occur during childhood or adolescence. Rather, it rises in adulthood as serious romantic relationships move center stage. Anxiety leads many adult children of divorce into making bad choices in relationships giving up hastily when problems arise or avoiding relationships altogether. And they go on to talk about this repeatedly in this article and in others. And this and this is how they conclude how they're taught, how they're characterizing the effect of divorce on kids. They say, bottom line, while you and your spouse may see divorce as a quick and easy way out of a difficult situation, the facts indicate that it will impact your children for the rest of their lives. That's why you need to think long and hard before choosing divorce. And then if you need a marriage therapist, contact us. The thing is, Judith Wallerstein never said that divorce was universally bad for kids. What Judith Wallerstein found was that in couples with low 
conflict marriages, divorce was bad. Mm -hmm. But in couples with high conflict marriages, divorce was better. And Focus on the Family quotes other studies like Amato, um, where he found the same thing. And Amato actually has this amazing graph Mm -hmm. (laughs) where he found that children in high conflict, toxic marriages do far worse if the parents remain married. Mm -hmm. But Focus on the Family never mentions that. So they quote from the very articles where these people say divorce is better for kids in certain situations, and they never say that. Mm -hmm. Can I just say that is statistical malpractice. Mm -hmm. You don't do stuff like that. It's not okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly unethical, and it's frankly dangerous. Mm -hmm. Like, think of the children who have been hurt because of how Focus on the Family has framed these important studies. It's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Well, think about how many women with, uh, you know, physically abusive husbands, you know, mm-hmm. stayed, thinking that it wouldn't hurt their kids. And then, of course, the husband escalates to also physically abusing the children as well. Yeah, and Gretchen has talked uh, to several women on her podcast or in her YouTube videos who did stay specifically because of Focus on the Family's articles yeah. and uh, went on to endure a lot of intimate partner violence. It's just horrible. Yeah. So that's not okay. Here's another example, also unethical. Um, Emerson Egrich in Love and Respect. The one peer-reviewed study that he quotes from quite a bit is Gottman. Well, he doesn't quote the studies. He quotes his book. Right. He quotes he quotes Gottman's books. Um, and he, he says that Gottman shows that there are differences in men and women. For instance, men are more likely to stonewall. Mm -hmm. Okay. And this is just what men do. And so women need to adjust to it and understand that when men stonewall, they're being honorable um, Mm -hmm. because they don't want to blow Uh, up. Blow up and outrage. Right. And so there's, there's these gender differences that we need to account for and everything. That's not actually what Gottman says. Gottman does say that men stonewall more. And Gottman does say that there are big gender differences in the ways that we often handle conflict. But what he's saying is that when you get into conflict, you often resort to these gender stereotypes, gender differences. That are harmful. That are harmful. And so the goal should actually be to eradicate these gendered ways of relating to conflict like women often get defensive men stonewall etc and he's got the four horsemen of the apocalypse Mm -hmm. that Gottman talks about so Gottman is talking about these things in terms of this is a bad phenomenon and we should stop it yeah because this is one of the things that is most highly correlated with unhappy marriages leading to divorce right and and Emerson Egrich uses his research to say look even Gottman says that there are gender differences and this is good because this is how God made us and this is what men need and this is what women need and we need to understand these differences. That's not what Gottman found at all. Um, And so that's another example of using someone's work but misusing their conclusions. Mm -hmm. Um, Talking about Gottman. Yes. That's our last point. Yes. Then there's just simply not understanding statistics. No, or math or just basic logic. Yeah, just basic logic. (laughs) And we see this a lot. Yeah, it's, sorry. It's not stats. no. It's fourth grade math. It really is. Yeah, yeah. Let's just let's just talk about some math. We're going to take you back to elementary school for a minute. Um, this is something which we see a lot in evangelical circles as well, is just laser focus on one finding, but then they'll report it wrong. In previous podcasts, we, we dissected this with Emerson Egrich, but again, Gottman found that 85% of stonewallers are male. Mm-hmm. 
And Emerson Egrich says in his book that 85% of men are stonewallers. And that's so not the same thing. You know, 10% of dogs are poodles. Mm-hmm. So therefore, 10% of poodles are dogs. <laughs> no, wait a second. Wait Doesn't, a second. 95% of murderers are male. 95% of, of males are, are murderers. We like, sure wouldn't want that. Okay, so not the same thing. Another funny one. Um, I talked about the math of love and respect. So let's let's just think about this one for a minute, okay? So love and respect um, is based on this survey by Shanti Felton where 74% of men would prefer to be alone and unloved than inadequate and disrespected. And they took that to mean that men prefer respect over love. Mm-hmm. So okay? therefore women must prefer love over respect. And yeah, they never asked women. No, again, we this we, you all listened to this two weeks ago, I think. So we're not going to yeah. go over it. But let's just take the math of it. So they're saying 74% of men prefer respect, even though that question is highly problematic. Let's give it to them. Let's assume they're right. <laughs> let's say, yes, 74% of men prefer respect how many women prefer love Mm -hmm. we have no way of knowing because they did not ask but let's give it to them let's give them the best case scenario that the same percentage of women would choose love as men would choose respect joanna yes when you were a little girl learning probabilities yes can you explain what that is and how you calculate them Mm -hmm. yes so little joanna glasses pigtails (laughs) (laughs) you want to know the probability of A and B occurring, you just multiply them. <laughs> so here, we're going to do 0.74 times 0.74. And we get, I believe it's 0.5679 or something like that. something like that. Oh, I've done same. it before. But yes, like it's something around 57%. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, and, and it, if you if you have the probability of one thing happening and the, and the probability of another thing happening and you want to know what's the probability of th- both those things happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. So a man who wants respect. respect marrying a woman who wants love, which is what the basis of their book is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Best case scenario. Is barely a passing grade. Is barely like, a passing grade. Like if your grade. doctor walked in, it's like, I'm going to do your appendectomy right now. Just going to let you know, got a 57.8 in this class. Like, would you want him to do your appendectomy? Okay. So this is the best case scenario. So, so. And I, I, I'm amazed that nobody noticed this before. Like, it's just basic math mm-hmm. that his theory only applies. And yet he claims that this book is for people in all different. Like, this is the, this is the missing piece that we've been missing forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it applies in all these different marriages. Okay, the funny thing <laughs> is that when other researchers asked the exact same question of women, mm-hmm. 68% of women chose respect as well. So mm-hmm. only 32% of women choose love. Multiply 74 by 32 and you're now... A heck of a lot lower. You're now at about a quarter. Yeah. So in reality... You get like a 25% on that test. Yeah. Would you be Ooh. proud of that? Coming home with that math grade with yeah. that 25% on it? <laughs> now mm. I shared this on social media and I wrote a post about it a while ago and a bunch of people were questioning my math using a lot of really like... Well, that assumes that... That, like, that assumes a worst case scenario, you know, probably women that want love would be more likely to marry men who want respect. But we have no way of knowing that. No. Nope. You know? And so let's just do simple math. <laughs> the probabilities, this is how scientists would do it, is the probabilities, and the probabilities is that this book applies to 57% of people in the absolute best case scenario, which means yeah. they actually accurately measured respect, which we don't think they did. No. Nope. And, they, and they asked women, which they didn't. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
So again, I think I think that the church could really benefit from some math classes. Because right now it's dumpster fire. <laughs> it's a big dumpster fire. Yes, and learning and learning how to judge um, research better. So talking about better research mm-hmm. and talking about ways we can do it better, though. Yes, we wanted to bring on someone who I've talked to in the past who I just love, mm-hmm. and I I I'm gonna say I have a strong-willed child at home. Mm-hmm. And Wendy's stuff has been so helpful with Alexander. And so as we're talking about this whole thing about how do you handle disagreeing with research, mm-hmm. we wanted to talk to Wendy about what, if we can't spank, because that's mm-hmm. what the meta-analysis says, mm-hmm. what does the research actually say works? Yep. Like what is gentle parenting? Yep. I am so excited to have Wendy Snyder on the podcast. Rebecca, I'm going to let you introduce Wendy because you know her so well. Of course. I, yes, I will say I follow Wendy on Instagram and we have chatted on your podcast before about why didn't rebel, but Wendy is a positive parenting educator and a family life coach, founder of Fresh Start Family. And she has an awesome Instagram page, which you all need to follow. So (laughs) thank you, Rebecca. As someone with a strong-willed toddler boy, she has an excellent... Instagram page. (laughs) Praise God for strong-willed kids. May we not kill ourselves raising them. (laughs) Exactly. So Wendy, let me just fill you in on what we've already talked about on this podcast, and then I can get your reaction. So one of the things that people often say to me when I say, you don't actually need to spank your children if you want your children to turn out well, what they say is, oh, but if I don't spank them, then they won't get any discipline. And we all know that the reason that the world is going to hell in a handbasket is because people aren't disciplining their kids anymore. (laughs) Hell in a handbasket. I love that term. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll just turn it over to you and let you respond to that. Oh gosh. Well, I'm just so honored to be here with you ladies today discussing this. I literally was thinking as we were chatting beforehand, I want, I want you to be like my second mom, Sheila. And I want Rebecca <laughs> to be like my new, I want, I want you guys as sister and, and second mom. I just adore you guys. And I love your work and I love your courage, uh, to discuss things that are, you know, not necessarily, uh, the standard conversation that's happening. So yes, discipline is one of my favorite things to teach about. And yes, it's it's just such a myth and it's a heartbreaking myth, especially in the Christian world um, that, you know, is taught, uh, is taught that this idea that in order um, for, to make children behave better, you know, in order to do that, you must first make them feel worse or hurt them. And then, you know, it's, there's been a lot of incorrect teachings about scripture that backs that, and it's just not true. So when it comes to discipline, discipline really is something that can be connecting and uniting. It really does not have to be something that creates a divide in your relationship with your child. It does not have to be something that creates shame and pain and humiliation and physical or emotional harm. It's just, it's just not right. So I've been teaching this work now, um, probably for about seven years and practicing my own home about 11. So I have a teenage daughter who's 14 and a half, um, who the first few years, right. I got that message of like, Hey, you just spank her and everything will be great, right? Like that's how you get your strong-willed kid to comply. Don't be, don't be afraid to show her who's boss. And here's all the scripture. You know, I had the neighbor, um, who referred me to the air quotes, Christian book, who was, uh, that I was, you know, I could just order on Amazon real easily. And it would teach me how to use a switch on her every time. Um, yeah. And just like, Oh, it was probably about six months or eight months. And after so many 
seasons of my heart just sinking and thinking like, this just does not feel right to me. Mm -hmm. Thank God, you know, I found a different way and was introduced to many, many books and resources. And now I am just so passionate about bringing the message that uh, it's just not true. That's just not the way in my own humble opinion that Jesus wants us to teach our children that Jesus teaches us. So, um, so yeah, so with, with discipline, we have to remember that the goal is to connect and unite and just to teach important life lessons. That's the goal. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It's about future. It's, it's based in the future. Punishment is really based in the past. So punishment is like, you know, if, if you do a simple Google search, right? Cause back in the day, we used to have Miriam Webster dictionaries on our, on our yes. bookcase. But nowadays you just, just Google it real quick. You'll find words like retribution, vengeance, payback, uh, retaliation. It's about making sure someone pays the price or feels the pain of their mistake. And, uh, for those of us who are living, you know, with grace from God as our, as our truth, like it just doesn't make sense. Like I said, we don't need to make our children behave, uh, feel worse in order to make them behave better. So discipline is actually based in the future. So it's based on teaching future, um, life skills. It's about, um, taking, you know, little shoulders and redirecting them towards the light, getting to the root cause of misbehavior, finding out what need is not being met and teaching our children how to get that need met in a healthy way. And we do that through mentorship. We do that through discipline. We do that through um, patience and empathy and compassion. And as, as you alluded to, Sheila, firm kindness. Discipline oh. is something that you have to do over and over and over again. And yes, there are times when it will take longer the way we teach it at Fresh Start Family. It may take longer to do some of the strategies and the activities and have the conversations than it would be to simply swat your kid on the hand or you know, do a spanking, whatever it may be. And I promise you the, uh, the effects, the long lasting sustainability and the what's happening in a child's brain as they understand the lessons being taught to them is, uh, is something that will last them a lifetime. It's not a bandaid. Uh, uh-huh. and, um, right. it's just wonderful. So those are just some initial thoughts on discipline versus punishment. Um, and again, I just, I just want to thank everyone who's listening with an open heart, because this is one of those conversations that really is tough because it just feels like there's so much judgment for those who choose a different way. And even if your heart is like opening a little bit and you're, you're curious about it, you, there's just still, there's a lot of outspoken people that most of us have in our lives that D de- that see compassionate discipline or gentle respect-based connection parenting as weak and ungodly. And I'm just yeah. here to preach it from the mountaintops. That is the most godly, the most um, heart softening and the most life-changing thing you can do for yourself as a parent and your children. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that. what I, one of the things that when I was studying the effects of spanking and more punitive discipline measures in universities, one of the things that the profs often said was that there is one major benefit to spanking and it's that you get immediate results, right? That's why parents do it. You hit the kid and they stop, right? Because they don't want to get hit again. And this is what, this is, I think, where a lot of people think, well, the the more, you know, connection focused um, ways just don't work because they don't get that immediate response, right? Because a a more connection focused discipline is going to take longer because it's just like what you were talking about. It's more of a future oriented process. And so we're looking at building a foundation and then building up from that versus simply plopping 
uh, full house on a pile of sand, right? And I think that's that's mm. something where if people are like, yeah, but I tried the, the the gentle parenting thing and it didn't work. It's like, okay, but we have to measure working differently. When we're talking about different types of methods, we need to have different measures for their outcome because the eventual outcome, the eventual goal is the same, right? We have kids who don't hit, kids who respect others, kids who, you know, know when to listen and, uh, you know, kids who uh, follow safety protocols, kids who are kind. That's, we all have the same shared goals, you know, but the issue is in the moment, how do we measure outcomes, right? So what if, if we can't expect like the same response, like you hit the kid and then, and I know some people don't like calling spanking hitting. Um, they say, well, it's spanking. It's not the same thing, but it's, you're taking a hand or an object and you are making contact with another person in order to cause pain. That is the definition of hitting, right? Yes. So we are hitting children. Um, if, if you can't expect that immediate, like, oh, you hit your brother, I hit you. There's no more hitting of the brothers. If you can't expect that in the same way, what's the metric as you're going through a more connection-based thing that you can know I did this, I, I did it, I did what I was supposed to do. And it may be, how do you tell if it worked in essence? I'm like dying as you're talking. I'm like, I can't wait to answer this. I can't wait to answer this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I just love the amount of research that's behind your guys' work. Okay. So when I think of air quotes working, mm-hmm. I know everybody wants to measure it, right? By the like, did the kid stop hitting the little sister, right? And we have to understand that there, so say, let me give you an example. And I know, Hey, I don't, I, the, the research is golden, right? The professors who are like saying like, yeah, it stops the behavior. And I will tell you, those of you who have strong-willed kids, you may have experienced this. Um, and all, you know, different kids react to spanking in different ways, but my strong-willed child who I believe literally is one of the biggest gifts to the world has been an angel in my life. She is the reason why I'm an educator. She has completely changed the way I operate as a human being and my faith, like as Mm -hmm. I pursue being more like Jesus, but when I spanked her a few times, when she was two and a half years old, dude, she revolted. She would, she became insanely upset and she was not having it like the level I would have had to up to get her to submit and break the will. Oh my gosh. The, um, the nervous system inside of me. And, you know, I know it like, it really, it breaks my heart even more. The teachings that are like, well, that's because you didn't do it in a calm time when you were calm and you did, you know, like, uh, it doesn't matter. My nervous system was on fire. Like Mm -hmm. then later at night and, you know, I have this one story and I'm driving home and she's freaking out in the backseat and my, like the, the enemy was just on attack. Like what is wrong with my child? She's the worst kid. Something's like, she needs to be at a doctor. She ADHD, she is she ODD. Is she like, this is insane. Like I am alone. Life sucks. I have to be the mean mom. Um, And then later it turned into regret and shame as I laid my head on my pillow at night. And then only to wake up and, you know, a few days later, she's still pushing back. She still doesn't want to leave the gymnastics center. It's not like it worked. It like it honestly, what I see with all of my, the families that I work with from all over the world is the behavior often comes back. And this is when it comes back. It comes back undercover. It'll be hidden. So they'll still do the behavior. 
They might mm-hmm. smack their sister or their brother when you're not looking. And then they feel so scared and intimidated that they're going to get hurt or shamed that they lie. They cover it up. They blame. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, but it often does return or uh-huh. a child, there are such detrimental effects to their psyche, their self-confidence, their ability to speak up, to make mistakes without fear of a disastrous, you know, thing happening in their life that that some of the children go on to just become people pleasers. They, be, they go on to think that this is easier to not speak my mind, to not go for what I want, to not make a mistake. So I will stop having courage in life. Like there are just so many things, right? So it's like the idea of, does it work really is something I love to challenge because, um, because you just have to analyze like your own body. Like when you go to bed at night, after you have done that to your child, do you feel connected? Do you feel like they're like, you know, I always ask the question when I teach my free discipline workshop, it's like, after you discipline, are you like, as a parent, are you like, wow, that felt really good. I, you know, like I feel calm and I feel like I have, I've really left an imprint on my child's brain to teach them the importance of respecting another person's viewpoint, the, the importance of asking for what they want in a dignified way with, um, you know, with kindness and, and thinking about what other, somebody else's, how to have self-control and self-regulation. I feel really good. And, and like, like I'm mimicking Jesus in my, in my actions, or after you do something like that, are you like, man, this sucks, but I got to do it. I got to do it. Mm -hmm. And my -hmm. child, she, she doesn't like it, but you know what scripture tells me that I have to. And, uh, if I don't do this, she's not going to learn. And it doesn't matter that she is screaming and has a red mark on her butt. Um, like I will continue to do this for all, like it is, I can just feel my blood pressure rising, like the thought pattern. Right. And then I always ask people afterwards is your child. Are they like, thank, thank you. Thank you for teaching me that. Thank you for Mm -hmm. taking time, mom, to tell me why it's important that I keep my hands to myself or that I am able to get in the truck when you ask me to, so you can be on time to your meeting. Like, thank you for believing in me. Thank you. I understand now I'd I'd like an opportunity to do it. Redo or they like, this sucks. You're the worst. You're the worst. Like, I'm so sorry. Please don't hit me again. Like, I mean, you can feel it. These, especially if you have little kids, they're not going to say these things, but you can feel the tone that they have. Mm -hmm. And it's always the later they're like, this is the worst. This Uh is, this is awful. This, this is not fair. Um, There's denial. There's like, there's not a lot of taking responsibility. There's just a disconnection in the relationship. So that's a bit of my thoughts on it. uh, Rebecca, I don't know if that helps. Yeah. No, that's awesome. One thing that, that is striking me as you're saying this is, um, you're really asking parents to listen to themselves, like listen to what your body is telling you, you know, listen to what your emotions are telling you, but I know the pushback we're going to get is, but what about what the Bible's telling me? I need to listen to what the Bible tells me, no matter what my emotions or what my body is saying to me. And the Bible's telling me I have to hit my child. So I, I don't believe that's what the Bible is telling us, but, yeah. but what is it that the Bible is telling us? Is it saying that we have to hit our children? No, it's absolutely not. And I remember back when, you know, um, I was 
just from like an intuitive heart, like you're talking about listening to your body, right, Sheila, from like an intuitive, I'm learning so God is teaching me so much in the past few years about embodiment and like trusting mm-hmm. myself and my intuition and what comes from God, what doesn't, right? And the past few years has just been pivotal for me. Um, but back then, I remember just thinking, this does not feel right. This makes no sense. Like this is not in line with the new covenant of Jesus Christ. Like it doesn't make sense to me and it doesn't feel right. I'm just not, no matter how much I tried, no matter how many dops and books I read, I was like, this does not feel right. God help me find a new way. And then he put the book, uh, Jesus, the gentle parent in front of me. And I remember calling Terry that day. It's it's a book by L.R. Nost and just being like, Terry, I was just almost in tears. I was like, hallelujah. I felt there's somebody that's teaching a different way. And she goes through the entire, all the scriptures. She goes through and teaches us exactly what these scriptures are actually teaching us about how the shepherds uh, use a rod to, to, to mentor and discipline that, you know, discipline their sheep with follow me type of messages and practices instead of you know, I've had a lot of people over the years who are like, yeah, but you know, I have family members who were sheep herders and they literally would take their rod and break the, the knees of the sheep. Right. Like, and then they would carry them on their shoulders. Uh, and like all this whole story behind it, right. People are, are very, like, they've been taught this for generations and, and centuries that this is the way. Um, and we, we, there's two podcast episodes we have on uh, Fresh Start Family, episode 122 with Connected Families, who we are giant mm-hmm. proponents of their ministry. If you're curious about learning more about this stuff, their ministry is insanely beautiful. And then yes, episode I love 123. Them too. I just wanted, I just want to put yeah. a plug in there too. We love their book, Discipline That Connects. I, I That's yeah. the one thing that I recommend a lot. So yes, thank yes. you. Okay, 123. Yep. Yes. And then episode 123 um, is with my friend Tanya and we, and we, we go into lots of scripture. We go into specifically deeper digs on this conversation about spanking. It's called parenting without punishment. So you can mm-hmm. just Google fresh start family show episode 122, episode 123, but we go into a lot of scripture stuff there, but this book, Jesus, the gentle parent, um, it just has so much information that's going to help you understand what scripture actually teaches us. And one of my favorite things about this book is at the end, there's a Hebrew English lexicon. And this will, you know, it takes words from scripture and then it breaks it down to like help us understand how in English we have translated it versus the Hebrew original meaning. So it's like, for example, fear, um, a lot of times, you know, I have a Bible that's like translated into, it's called um, the life application Bible. And I love that it's actually has translation at the bottom. Um, and, and it does a really, like, it's pretty spot on most of the time, but in general society, when we think of fear, when we read, let's say fear in scripture, we're going to think of things like an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat, feeling afraid, showing fear or anxiety, causing or likely to cause people to be afraid, horrifying, right? Like this is a lot of what you hear. Like I need to teach my kids to fear God, to fear consequences. Mm -hmm. Instead, the Hebrew word yira means to see or be seen with intense clarity and intentionality, have a heightened awareness of wonder, amazement, mystery, astonishment, overflowing emotion, Right. So episode 123, I I recorded on having fear and wonder and discipline. Like, God, what are you going to teach us through this? Like, I'm in amazement. 
Like if there's something that happens here and there's a mistake my child has made, you know, help me use the rod, so to speak, of discipline and mentorship to teach this important life lesson that is most likely going to affect the rest of their life. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. I'm in awe of how you are going to provide um, healing and growth for our family and our child through this opportunity to learn. Mistakes are just opportunities to learn. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, it's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the girl who like has the scripture memorized to be like, here you go. Like, here's the scripture. Let's talk about it. <laughs> but I do always recommend this book. If you really want to dig in to those like five, 10 passages that everyone gets really hung up on, uh, Jesus, the gentle parent is it. And then I recently found this book, heartfelt discipline by Clay Clarkson. And it is spot on with every scripture that has ever been turned into this means you're supposed to hit your child or spank your child. And he's disproven it. And he's, you know, with such respect and very accurate, um, biblical, you know, conversations. That's just really great. So hopefully that helps Sheila. Mm-hmm. Okay. Before we go one last thing, a story. Um, when Rebecca was maybe three, we, we went to a play group every day at a local school. And one day I was just talking with all the other moms and the woman who runs the play group, whom I really respected. And Rebecca picks up this doll and she starts <laughs> wailing on the doll and says, you are a bad, bad, bad girl. And starts speaking. And, and everyone's looking at my child, just going crazy on this doll. And I don't know where this is coming from because I'd never spanked her. And I certainly had never called her this bad girl, but she was just, you are a bad, bad girl. And I remember this intense feeling of embarrassment. Like, what are people going to think of me as a parent because of how my, my child was behaving? But I think that that is often the motivator for how we discipline is we don't trust our own intuition or, um, or what we want, our own emotions. Instead, we're reacting out of fear. Like what are other people and fear in, in the bad way, not in the sense right, of right. like, like, what are other people going to think of me? What is my mom going to think of me? What are the parenting groups yeah. going to think of me? And, um, if I can give people one bit of encouragement last week on the podcast, we had Crispin Mayfield, who was talking about attachment with God. Um, and in his book attached to God, he gave this, this stat that what they found is that for kids who are very securely attached to their parents, their parents only have to get it right about half the time. (laughs) Like, it's not like you have to get it right all the time. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You know, it's just a little bit more than half the time. And, and I found that very encouraging. Like no one's saying that you have to be this absolute perfect parent, but we are trying to say you can let yourself off the hook and we can do this in a different way. And like, I'm sure you found that in your work is that a lot of women are just feeling like such great relief. They are in their hearts and the fear of judgment is a massive hurdle to get over. And it, it, it yeah. takes a lot of inner work. It takes a lot of healing. So as you know, a certified life coach in combination with my education work, I mean, we have over 200 members from all over the world. And I'd say 80% of the time we're doing life coaching work in our life, se- our coaching sessions, <laughs> because <laughs> there is so much to overcome when it comes to not operating as a human being to please others. Like it is crazy how deep it goes. And just imagine those of us who are choosing a different way. We are teaching our kids through every moment we discipline them that there is not bad or good deemed by our eyes. There is always good, always good. And there are mistakes. Mistakes are opportunities to learn. 
99% of mistakes are repairable. Let me teach you how to make amends. Let me teach you how to repair relationships. Let me teach you how to redo the situation so you can have a new opportunity tomorrow to leave a new uh, effect or contribution on the world. There's not so much danger associated with making mistakes or you know, getting something wrong. So these kids are going to grow up to be able to follow their heart and listen to themselves way more easier when they're adults because they're not fearing this like detrimental, what if my mom disagrees with me? What if someone in my playgroup thinks I'm wrong? What if I make a mistake? Like there's, there's our children of this generation that are being raised in this different way, they're going to have a different experience. So it's going to become easier and easier as generations go by. Mm-hmm. And we, and we parent in this way to, to just follow your heart and, and do what you believe Jesus is calling you to do. Um, so that's kind of my thoughts about it. And it's just so common. It's so common. Um, and together will be the way through community that we, we get through it and, and we do things the way we felt called to. Yeah. So if you're listening and you're thinking this all sounds great, but how do I actually do it? Don't worry. We're going to be talking to Wendy again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So thank you so much for talking to us today, Wendy. And, uh, we're going to have, I believe we're going to have a whole podcast where we're going to talk more about the practical elements of how Mm -hmm. to actually do connection based discipline. So make sure you're looking out for that. And we will have the links that Wendy mentioned to her own podcasts and those books in the podcast notes. Thank you again for coming on with us, Wendy. Thank Thank you for having me, ladies. That was amazing. I love Wendy, and I hope you did too. She will be joining us for the whole podcast next week. Um, She's going to tell us more about gentle parenting, about how we can discipline. She's got some specific scenarios to walk through with us, including one where Rebecca talks about a problem she's having with Alex, and Wendy helps her troubleshoot for that. So it's really fun. Um, We've already recorded it. I'm so excited to bring it to you next week. So join us again for the Bear Marriage Podcast. But I wanted to bring up just a a reader question that I had um, that kind of relates to what Wendy was talking about. So I had a woman write to me and say this, I would love for you to focus on how to obey Christ in our parenting since my husband and I have two different parenting styles. I do not want to hurt my daughter by disobeying my husband or by disobeying God. My husband's cultural way is to give a cold shower with clothes on to change an attitude or to spank until the crying stops or to put bitter weeds in their mouth. I'm not sure what to do. All right, that's that's tough. I know there's a lot of you in the position where you really buy into this gentle parenting thing. You don't wanna break your child's spirit. You want to raise your child with secure attachment, but at the same time, your spouse is much more about punishment. And, and how do you deal with that? This is something where you got to have the hard conversations. We had uh, a post on Wednesday of this week on attachment styles. I will put a link in the podcast notes that go along with this. Talk through these issues with your spouse, because it could be that they just need to understand that certain parenting styles do hurt with attachment and they end up really hurting our kids in the long run. But that being said, what she's describing is not just a difference in parenting styles and it's not just a, I want gentle parenting and they're a little bit stricter. What she's describing is actual child abuse, okay? Putting a child in a cold shower with their clothes on, spanking them until they stop crying. So that's basically breaking their spirit, putting bitter weeds in their mouths. These are something which if your neighbor was doing it to their children, 
you would be in the right to call Child Protective Services. And so if you would call Child Protective Services for someone else for doing it to their child, you cannot allow your spouse to do this to your child. Please hear me on that. You can't let your spouse abuse your child. And there are a lot of parenting techniques that are abusive. And she was referencing a certain cultural group, which I didn't name because it doesn't matter. But let's remember that there are Christian cultural groups that do this. You know, the book Shepherding a Child's Heart tells you to spank your eight-month-old baby when they are being disobedient by wriggling when you're changing their diaper. Um, Michael and Debbie Pearl's book To Train Up a Child talks about spanking babies with a switch. Um, babies and spanking a child to break their will. Um, this is inherently abusive. And as we looked at with attachment styles, this has disastrous effects long-term on children's relationships and on their ability to feel secure in the world. It is not a healthy thing. It's very destructive. And the destruction is not just on their physical bodies, but on their emotional health in the long-term. And so you have to draw a line. You just do. And if that is something which is dangerous for you to do, because if you draw a line, you're also in danger, then please call a domestic abuse hotline. Um, get yourself some help, but this isn't okay. And this is when you might have to do something drastic and say, no, I will not have you treat my child that way. And if this means that you need to be removed from the house, that is what is going to happen. But my child will not be abused. And, you know, if possible, if your spouse is open to it, you know, work through this with a licensed counselor. Like I said, read the attachment styles post. But often the people who discipline this way were also disciplined that way as a child. And they also have disordered attachment styles right now. So they're very avoidant. They don't, they're, they're not even in touch with their emotions. So they can't even understand why this is the wrong thing to do because they've always operated from, not from emotional health, but from this perspective of having to control other people. That's not healthy. And that is something that you need to confront for the sake of your kids. So I know that's really tough, but please, this is not a matter of submitting to your husband. Okay. This is a matter of protecting your kids and we need to take it seriously. <sighs> I know that's heavy. <laughs> um, but you know what? Wendy's going to be back next week. She's got some great information for us. And maybe your spouse or your husband will be able to listen to that and start thinking about this from a different perspective, because that would be great for everybody. <laughs> I also want to say, just as we're wrapping up, remember that you can help us so much by rating this podcast five stars and leaving a review wherever you listen to it. And if you've read The Great Sex Rescue or The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex, and when you leave reviews for them on Amazon or Goodreads, it helps us so much too. So thank you for that. Our patron Facebook group is so much fun. People post all the time. We have the most amazing discussions. Keith actually started donating to our patron group just so that he could be part of that Facebook group. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun. Um, so even for as little as $5 a month, you can join and just have a lot of fun there. The link is in our podcast notes and that helps support Joanna and Rebecca. It was so fun having Joanna on this podcast and hopefully now that she's in Edmonton and easier with internet, she'll be on again. We have lots of fun things coming up this month as we launch into attachment month more on attachment styles how attachment affects marriage so join us next week again on the bear marriage podcast as we talk about attachment and our kids see you then bye-bye